Okay, we're going to continue our studies. This time we are uh, through the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Now this, um, before we get started, let's just open in a word of prayer. We'll, we'll turn over here to Acts 12. I'm going to stay here in my section. Okay, let's let's look to the let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we just ask you that we might behold wondrous things from your law, and it's in your Son's name we do pray. Amen. Okay, so we are in Acts chapter twelve. Um, if I were to give a title for this, now this is this is quite this is how um, sometimes it's not sometimes a lot every time, but you know when you notice it. It's just so great, especially when you come to the meeting and, and just the way the Holy Spirit is moving individuals. So David was in this, um, David Gill was, was speaking just in our first meeting about this, brought us our attention to this very story. I was thinking this, Michael was also speaking about this in Acts chapter 11, which is also I wanted to look into. So it's just fascinating that the, we've already had our minds directed to these things, but if I were to give a title to this particular section, which we're gonna we're gonna explain a little bit more, but um, it's that the Most High rules, and the Most High being God, but He rules in the realm of men. Now, this is um, just to repeat, in case, uh, especially those who are are watching and listening that did not hear, but David brought us to um, Acts, uh, excuse me, into Daniel four. Now, Daniel is a very fascinating book because of the content. There's a lot of prophecy, the stories that of Daniel and, and just being transplanted, uh, forcibly moved from one place to another and just to see how he would, how he would respond and how he would react. But one chapter in particular, it almost seems now it's accredited that Daniel wrote, wrote the book or at least compiled it. But it seems that this particular chapter was written by a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, because it says it's like he wrote this letter. And he, he starts off by telling you, now he, he tells you eventually where he's going to get to, but because he's writing this chapter, he's telling you he's going to be humbled. He's basically telling you his testimony, but he, he, he has this vision. Now, this is not the first time that he's had a vision, so he knows where to go when he needs it translated. But he says, um, he had this vision, and we, we won't spend too much time here. I just want to look at the phrase. But um, he goes to Daniel, which um, Daniel's name has been changed by him to uh, Belteshazzar, which is quite fascinating um, to look back, uh, to, to just make one mention about this. But Daniel was so much, uh, it was so much put against him and tried against him to change him to where he, uh, to where he is and who he is. Even his name, right, his name was a glory to God, but it was changed to a, a, a pagan god, and yet Daniel still succeeded and was fruitful in that situation. Now, that's an encouragement for us, right, because we essentially um, are in a hostile land, and sometimes we have uh, a forces against us. We didn't ask for it, right? Maybe we're born into a, a we're all really essentially born... Um, Lost, right? But sometimes we're born into a family where the parents are not, um, maybe the family around us, maybe friends, maybe decisions we made. But here's Daniel, and there's, you know, he has some of his friends, but he's able to flourish and he's able to be an example, so much so that the highest person in the country that he's at noticed him 
And that when he had problems, he went to him. And Daniel was elevated to a position of power. Um, but his name was changed to, to, to a, a foreign god, Belteshazzar, or uh, excuse me, Belteshazzar, if you want to say it however you pronounce it. But um, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And he knows where to go because Daniel has done this before for him. But um, the interpretation is this. And, and <clears throat> uh, Daniel tells him eventually. Now, Daniel must have had an affinity for Nebuchadnezzar um, because in, in this way, that he had a heart to see Nebuchadnezzar do right and to, and to really submit himself to God. Now, I, and I'm sorry, starting to talk too much about Daniel, but really this is an example for us, right? Just not to think of, of potentates and rulers and managers as those who are, are getting at us and in our way and really holding us back, right? Daniel saw him as, listen, this is a person that needs to humble himself before God. This is a person that could, God could use, right? And so it, it, he tells him the interpretation is this. He says, listen, the dream that you saw, um, and this is the interpretation, verse, uh, and this is chapter 4, verse 24, and this is the interpretation, O king. Um, and, and this is the decree that the Most High has come upon the Lord, uh, my king. That, uh, you are to be driven and so on by, uh, you know, he's going to be pushed out uh, and he's going to act as an animal, right? You've been acting as an animal in God's eyes already by considering yourself a God and controlling your life. You're acting like it already. Well, God's going to let you do it already. You know, he's going to complete it. Fine. You want to act like an animal? God's going to let you act like an animal in, in real life, right? So he's going to be pushed out and, 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 and act like an animal until when? Until you realize that the Most High uh, uh, rules in the kingdom of men. And, you know, what's the application? Now, I'm going to start off by telling you what, like, what, what can we grab from this chapter? We're going to get into a little bit, but I want you to remember this, that um, as we go, th- go through it, especially, uh, you know, we don't necessarily have any kings and, and, or, or presidents or, or rulers in this particular uh, country that are coming down and attacking us and, and coming after us. Right. And and they're looking to to wreck our lives and to take our property. I mean, we haven't in this particular locale haven't really experienced this. But uh, on a personal level and on a local level, we have managers and maybe perhaps uh, authorities, too. uh, You can think of in your life, but they are over us. Right. And they are over us. and, And and sometimes we as Christians can get so distracted because of our situation and we see something that we happen and, and sometimes it is wrong what's going on in our lives. And, and what we do is we start getting anxious about it. And I, I don't like the way it's going right now. You know, this is not fair. You know, some of this and, and not saying that we can't have those feelings and, and we can't, uh, uh, express ourselves and even pray to the Lord and, and, and ask the Lord, Hey, what's going on? Is, can this be changed? It's not about that, but, if we have this, if we have this uh, uh, principle overarching the way we see things, that the most high rules in the in the world of men, nothing will bother us. Nothing, not even that uh, that ornery manager that always gets in our way, and he seems to be set against us. And if we understand that the most high rules, then that everything else is is good, right? It, it's 
well, sometimes it's gravy, right? It's just something that's on top, and it doesn't matter what comes, and it doesn't affect us, right? And because what we have here in Acts chapter 12 is, is, is a particular local ruler. He wasn't necessarily the ruler over the land, but he was in this, in this time, in this particular area. But he set himself against the church. He wanted to wreak havoc. Sounds familiar, right? Somebody else did that just earlier in Acts, in the earlier chapters, but he ended up turning back to the Lord. But we have somebody who, 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 who has the authority given by God. He uses that authority to please himself and he comes and attacks the church. Okay. Let's go ahead and, and, and start off. Oh, so, okay. Um, this is Acts. Now we're finally back in Acts chapter 12, verse one. About that time. We'll stop right there. Okay, so about that time. So, and this is also interesting too, um, because I, we started off in, in, in Acts 6. If you remember, we're introduced to a person named Stephen. And Stephen was picked for a, a task. Um, one of the first, uh, the first, uh, examples of what we see deacons doing work, and they were running this food distribution program. And then seven, we see the conclusion of it that Stephen was put to death. He had a great witness among his, um, amongst the ruling religious body there. They ended up murdering him because that's the way they, um, they couldn't take the, the conviction. And instead they, they went ahead and murdered him. But because of that, and that really just springboarded, um, a, a wave of anger, right? Because that if, if Stephen represents what, um, you know, think about it. If Stephen represents what God, I mean, what the church is, right? And I just don't like being uh, uh, confronted with my sin. And, you know, you, you, you see this when you witness to people sometimes. They get angry or they get defensive, right? And they'll throw up some kind of uh, uh, maybe some argument or some kind of smokescreen. But really what they're hiding is their own conviction. Now, they don't respond in a correct way. But like these people, they, they ended up murdering Stephen. But what happened was there was a tide and wave of, of animosity against the church. And the church at this point was just located in Jerusalem. And so from that, right now, this is before Paul was, was converted. But Saul was part of this uh, antagonistic behavior, terroristic behavior against the church. And the church ends up being pushed out. Now, the apostles end up staying in Jerusalem. But the disciples are all pushed out. Now, what does that mean? Oh, too fast. Now, what does that mean? So in, 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 in verse, in chapter 11, we, we were already there. Um, Mike had us there reading and he highlighted the grace. He saw the grace of God, but I wanted to highlight that they, now this is verse 19 of, of the chapter before about that time. Remember about that time, those were scattered because of the persecution that arose from Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word, uh, to no one except Jews. Okay. So, um, this is almost like a parenthesis. So from six and seven, right, we have the, the death and the spreading, uh, uh, the death of Stephen and then people get spreading. So everything in between, right, the, the conversion of the, of the, um, Ethiopian eunuch, Saul to Paul and, um, the, uh, centurion, right? And now we pick back up because of this, the church was located here. Now the quality of this is not that great, but this is where the church was. So it says that they were pushed out to Phoenicia as well as Cyprus, an island, and then Antioch. Tarsus is where uh, Paul was actually, uh, Saul, Paul, was actually brought 
um, and then they made their way down to Antioch eventually. But in any case, the people started moving away. Now, two things I'll just make note of uh, of, of, of this. Um, when we read about this time, it says that some of them only went to the Jews. Now, Mike did mention this, but I just want to highlight that, you know, that wasn't what God intended, right? He, he even had a story. He had a lesson with Peter, but it seems like they didn't pick it up, right? And so they just went to the Jews only. But there were some, it does say, that went to the Hellenius or the actual Greeks, right, non-Jews. And so in any case... That's what's going on right now. So about this time, now back in Jerusalem, right? Back down here, because remember, look at what we're introduced to. Herod, the king, violently laid hands upon uh, some who belonged to the church. Now, I want to also make this, when I came across this, this guy's name comes up a lot. Who's Herod? You know, what is that? Is that is that his first name? Is that his last name? Is that a nickname? So... I, I, I wanted to look at this now. Uh, some of this is, is beyond, um, you might have to click the presentation because I've lost control. Um, the Herod, when you look at it, 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 it is, a lot of it is in history. We have to look at it. Um, hey, thank you. Um, so uh, what I wanted to do is because we see this name popping up left and right, especially in the New Testament, and when it comes to Acts, He's actually mentioned twice. There's another Herod, and then there's a Herod later that Paul stands before and makes his defense. Okay, so what I did is, uh, this is also gathered from history. So this is a little bit, not a little bit, this is outside of what we read in the Bible. So we got to look into history for it. But um, these same people we see into history. Now, this helps me because, especially when we come across the story where we read that John the Baptist has a problem because... He says, listen, Herod, you can't have your brother's wife. Well, who Herod is that, right? Because Herod's mentioned at the beginning with Jesus. So, okay, let's just start at the beginning. So Herod, he's also known as Herod the Great. This is in Matthew chapter 2. This is the same Herod that um, that the, uh, remember the Magi came. They saw the star. They came to this man named Herod. This is the same guy. Herod was an awful person. Even the very story that's recorded in 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 in, um, in Matthew chapter two, right? What did he end up doing when he realized that he was tricked? He ends up murdering all the babies that were under two. It was so bad that what he did, that event, was prophesied before because it says that Rachel was crying for her children and wasn't allowed to be comforted because of what this man did. Now. I want to mention this because what happens to our Herod down here is, is very similar. But we're also read in history that Herod died a very painful death. The Lord didn't allow what, you know, what he was ended up doing. Now, this is, in, this is just for our own, uh, just to keep in mind, that the Lord pays attention to what goes on here. Remember, the most high rules in the kingdom of men. But Herod ended up meeting a, um, this is, of course, according to history, he did not meet a great um, end. He ended up dying in a very painful way. So, remember, he's dead. Remember, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they're sent out. Where did they end up going first? Does anybody remember? Egypt. Okay, so Herod's dead. They hear about this. They come back. Remember, there's another Herod who's in charge. It's this one, Archelaus, right? And it says, Joseph says, when he saw that this his son, Herod's son, this other Herod, Archelaus, was in charge... He got scared, and where did he end up going? To where Jesus is from, right? From Nazareth, right? Or Galilee, whatever. 
he ends up moving away, right? So they end, where they started in Bethlehem, they did not end up there from Egypt over to uh, when they end up returning because he saw Herod's son was in charge. Herod also had many children because this family was a, a was not the, the the nuclear family as you think. Because this man not only would he killed other children, he also killed his own. Um, it, it says in history, uh, especially about Herod the Great, that it's safer to be Herod's dog than his son because he was so uh, um, he was very uh, what's the right word you, um, anxious or. He was very uh, uh, suspicious. That's the right word. Suspicious of even his own children supplanting him while he was still alive. And he killed some of them. But anyway, he had several children from different women. Um, not the same, um, you know, not the same woman. But, okay, so that's Herod Archelaus, right? Not much said about him except for there. But then we have Herod Antipas. Now, this is another one. He's mentioned in Luke th- uh, 3 and 6. This is the one I mid-mentioned that John had issue with because... He took uh, Herod, his brother's wife. It's actually it's his stepbrother from another. Uh, Herod had other, you know, of course, um, multiple women and multiple children from these women. But this is the one that uh, John the Baptist had issue with. And remember, John the Baptist ends up putting him to death. Uh, I mean, excuse me, Herod ends up putting John the Baptist to death because of Herodias, right? The woman that he stole from what we think is Herod II, history tells us, or Herod Philip. There's also another Herod Philip, Philip the Tetrarch. Um, this is also the same Herod that Pilate ends up sending Jesus to. Remember in the story when Jesus, when the trial gets moving, Pilate says, listen, I don't want to deal with this. You know, I don't want to be anywhere close with this Christianity or with, with this man, Jesus, because I know he what he's been doing in the great miracles. And he says, listen, I find out that he's actually from he hails from the, the place of Nazareth. So I'm going to turn him over to Herod Antipas, right? So he ends up sending him over there, and then he sends it back to Pilate. So Pilate ends up uh, overseeing his case. But when Herod dies, he basically uh, uh, parses out his, his, his area of rule, and they become tetrarchs, which is meaning they're rulers of quarters, right? So all these are rulers of quarters, and then there's Herod II, uh, also Herod Philip. We won't say too much about, but he's um, the one that Herodias was married to first. And um, this Herod ends up stealing his wife. Okay, so back to our where we get to our Herod. So he also had a son. Um, not much is said in the Bible about this one. Um, but his son is Herod Agrippa. This is the one that we're dealing with in Acts chapter 12, right? So this is actually the great, um, the grandson, right, of Herod the Great that we read in, when we're introduced to um, in Acts chapter, uh, excuse me, in Matthew chapter two. Okay, so Herod, this one, he oh, and we also will mention too, since we're not going to go back to it, but um, he has a son uh, after his untimely demise. But he has a son. This son is the one that Paul ends up witnessing to. Um, remember when he's uh, has appealed to Caesar, right? He was he was imprisoned. And they wanted to um, get rid of, you know, let him go because they found out he's a Roman citizen. And what they did to him was unlawful. He says, no, you can't, you can't discard me like that. He's going to take that as an advantage to go to Rome to appeal to him and to not just to get his freedom, but to be a witness. Right. So along Paul's journey back to Rome, he ends up um, before these rulers and these judges witnessing to them. And one of them is this Herod. He's, Herod also comes in with uh, Bernice. And, uh, Bernice, however you pronounce it, 
But um, Herod Agrippa is that one, the second one. So hopefully that made a little sense. I know it maybe is a lot of information there. But when we come across Herod, um, they're all over the place. They are different people, but they uh, do come from the same family being Herod the Great, the first one. Okay, so Herod the king. So Herod Agrippa the first, right? He laid on violent hands upon those who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Uh, that's John, the writer of Revelation, right? One of the apostles. James is one of the apostles. James had a place of, was very close to the Lord. When the Lord went up to the, the, um, the Mount of Transfiguration, right? He brought just a few of them to, to witness it firsthand. James was one of them. Peter, James, and John. Okay. Then he saw that it pleased the Jews. This is Herod. And he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was the, during the days of unleavened bread. And, and we'll, we'll stop right there. So one of the first things I noticed, uh, remember, that the overarching thing was we come across is that the most high rules. So what we see is this man, right, this foreign power, he decides that he's going to secure uh, maybe secure more votes. I don't know if it was a democracy at this time. He was going to advance his position among his populace that he was over. And what he was doing, right, is really he was benefiting from this. He didn't really care about the church. It was a political thing that he was doing because the people liked what he was getting involved with, right? Um, the Remember, the, the Jewish rulers, the Sanhedrin, the council you come across, they didn't have the authority to do any of this. What they did to Stephen was illegal. They, they murdered him. They didn't have the right and they didn't have the legal means to put somebody to death. That's why they did that with the Lord Jesus. They tried to set up a phony trial with the Roman government to put him to death because they didn't have the authority to do it. And so, listen, if I have, and Herod knew this, I knew those Jews, these, you know, the, the, the people that I'm ruling over, if they want somebody, hey, I'm going to be that person. I don't care about the church. Who are they? If I can secure my position and I can, you know, be solidified in my political standing, hey, I'm going to go ahead and pursue it. And that's exactly what he did because he knew it pleased the, the people. Now, you know, the, one of the first questions I, I asked myself is this. Before all this, who is Herod and everything is, you know, James is killed. Not much is said about him except for what he, what he was uh, privy to, you know, and being close. But then Peter's left alive. Why is that? I don't have an answer. <laughs> um, I don't. You know, and, and, and really that comforts me in this sense because, you know, sometimes we could beat ourselves over the head and, and beat ourselves up and say, listen, why is this happening? And why is it not, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, they're allowed to do this and they were given that and look at all the great things they were giving and look at the situation that I'm in. And we can get so wrapped up and what we end up doing is we become so self-centered and we totally lose sight of what's going on, right? Then our heart's revealed, right? It, it, that's what complaining is, right? It's not the first time that, that um, this has happened. Um, remember, uh, one example I think of is the children of Israel, right? They were brought out by, by a great um, uh, redemption, right? They had hundreds of years of slavery, they were, uh, generations were brought into it. They didn't know anything else by this time, right? Because they were in slavery for so long, 400 years or so, that they were brought out, right? And they were brought into what? Oh, life of freedom. Well, what do we do now? 
We've got to follow the person who redeemed us, right? It wasn't long before they started complaining against him. And little by little, the little complaints, I don't like exactly where he's leading me. I don't like what he's doing, right? He had, you know, it's funny. Think about it. You know, they trusted him to bring him out of this desperate situation. But then to live the life, they started little complaints, little complaints to the point where their heart was totally uh, so hardened to who their redeemer was that they said, listen, he brought us out here to kill us, what he's doing, right? They have gotten so bad in their complaining, right? It led them to the point where they said God is somebody who's malicious and he's out to, he, he, he's out to do wrong against us. And you think, how in the world did that happen? That the person that they trusted that would, you know, brought them out of this desperate situation, they got to the point where he said, he's somebody who wants to kill us. It's because they were complaining against their situation. They kept complaining and whining. Now, you know, they, they didn't know the Lord, really. But that's what complaining leads you. That's where it leads to, right? Instead of realizing that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and just submitting to it and what's happening. And that's really the comfort I have. Listen, I don't know the reason. The Bible doesn't tell us why James was killed and why Peter was spared. And I don't know if it was because, you know, sometimes we think, well, it's because James did something wrong. It's not like that. I, <laughs> that's one of the first things that will get us in trouble, right, is that we look at um, especially negative situations and we think, well, yes, the Lord does use that for discipline reasons, but um, we don't know. We don't know why James was killed and why Peter was spared. But that's the case. So Peter spared for the intent of him putting him to death. Remember, this man was, was out to, to, to please the people. In verse 4, And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending uh, after the Passover to bring him out uh, to the people. Now, I, I believe um, my question maker... Um, she asked one of these questions. I didn't want to embarrass her, but she had um, one of the ones that she asked about this. But four squads of soldiers. He tried to make this as impenetrable and as unfailable. Is that a word? Not failing or, or, or a foolproof. There it is. He tried to make this as foolproof as possible. Listen, the apostles in Acts 4, they were released miraculously out of prison. And so Herod knew about this. It says, listen, this has happened before where they were in prison and then they appeared outside and then they were doing something like, whoa, what happened? So he said, listen, I need to make this secure, not because I despise the church and I don't like what's going on. Remember, uh, putting Peter to death, putting James to death meant something to him. It, it was it was more votes. It was more political powers, more uh, 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 doing what the will of the people. And so Peter meant something to him. If he let him go, right, it would be bad. And so he, he tries to make Peter as secure as possible. And this is also, I found this fascinating because it was during a religious time, right? The days of unleavened bread. But he sees him, put him in prison, delivering a force gods of soldiers, intending to, after the Passover, to bring him out to the people and then essentially put him to death, right? Make a spectacle, make a spectacle, uh, spectacle of him, right? I'm going to put him in prison. Listen, because the people aren't ready, they're doing their religious things. I mean, isn't that kind of funny and ironic? It's the same thing that we think about when, on the story of the Lord Jesus, when they, you know, the, the religious leaders were, were so hell-bent on putting the, to death the Lord Jesus that they said, listen, you know, they were following every movement. We need to get this guy out of it because he's wrecking everything that's going on and the established religion that we have, that they didn't enter into Pilate's uh, 
governing house or the courthouse because they felt that they were going to be defiled religiously. Like, it's going to make me not holy enough to attend my religious feast. And that's the same thing that's happening here. Herod knew it. Listen, he was going to have a phony trial and then end up, you know, beheading Peter and getting rid of him. But they, you know, he wouldn't have anybody to watch because they were all going to say, listen, we didn't want to be defiled by this, by this trial and we need to attend the, the Passover. So anyway, he knew that he had to wait for after the Passover. It wasn't that he was a religious man. It's just the people he was trying to please and, um, and to show this for. Um, we're not going to be there. Okay, so he puts him in prison, and he waits for after the Passover, which apparently was was going to be happening very soon. Okay, so Peter was kept in prison, but listen to this in verse 5. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, we have, um, we have this, especially this meeting, and in, in we have a meeting uh, every Wednesday, but much has been said about prayer, and a lot of times I, I think it personally and especially in our life that we only come to the Lord, especially earnestly when there's a problem, when there's a need and there's something, you know, a broken leg, lost vision, lost job, uh, a, a family member sick. That's when we're on our knees earnestly praying. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing or we should criticize it. Right. But should we always be in earnest prayer? Maybe maybe we don't have something um, personally that we have, but you know, I know brother so-and-so his, uh, sister is unsaved, right? And he, that's a, something that's been on his heart for all of his life, right? Or most of it since he's been a believer. And I know that, and I, shouldn't I be praying earnestly for that? I mean, that's something I can bring before Lord. But anyway, you know, just an example of earnestly praying because Listen, they wanted to see Peter released. They just witnessed one of their own, right? And it was very sad, be killed, right? Prematurely, James killed. And they knew this was going to happen to Peter, but they were um, earnestly praying for this man to be released. Now, this is also um, where I get my title, too, that the most high rules, right? You know, it's a very desperate situation. You know, you might think just on their own terms, they have no way of releasing Peter. They had no chance. Even the, even if they wanted to do something legally and argue their case and get a good lawyer, the person presiding over the case is already corrupt and already set his mind on killing the person. And you think, man, what, you know, what, uh, uh, what chance do I have of changing that? Earnest prayer was made by the church to God. They knew exactly where to go. Earnest prayer, praying for him, made to God by the church, right? So while this was happening outside and the turbulence around the church and everything, and the viol- it says violent hands, not just that he rested him and said, oh, please come with me. It says violent hands. It must have been a lot of abuse, a lot of punching, a lot of physical abuse that was happening against the church. But in any case, um, what the church did is that... Earnest prayer was made. Now, at this point, they were meeting in somebody's house, right? So it was very dangerous, right, to be continuing uh, to to meet together. But they got together because they wanted to see Peter release. And if it was God's will, he knew they were going to do it. But they were going to come to God, and they were going to plead on his behalf. Okay, so in verse 6, what happens? Now, uh, when Herod was about to bring him out, that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound uh, with two chains centuries before the door and guarding the prison. Now, um, a 
couple of things I want to mention as we we think of the posture of Peter. Now, I, I don't look at this as a criticizing thing because uh, it says Peter was sleeping and it de- gives us the details that it was the night that he was going to be beheaded. Now, I remember the night before a lot of things. Uh, maybe Michael remembers these nights, you know, before you would go play like a tournament in volleyball. Man, I couldn't sleep. You know, I was like, oh, man, I'm so excited, you know. Uh, and it was actually adversely bad for me because then the next morning I'd be really, I'd be hyped up on adrenaline, but once that had crashed, I would be so tired and I had to sleep between games. But I couldn't sleep because I was in anticipation of playing and, you know, all the glory that would be given to myself is really what, what, what I was looking for, you know, so, um, selfish. But, you know, he's being, he's going to be put to death and he knows it. Well, he, you know, he knows it that the very night, the next night that Herod's going to bring him out and kill him, He's sleeping. Now, I look at it as like this. I think Peter just understood that, you know, not only did the Lord Jesus tell him that he would die in such a manner, right? He would be brought around and, and he would be, you know, he was a young man and he was able to do what he wanted and dress himself and nobody told him what to do. But when he got older, he was going to be directed and pulled around where he didn't want to go. And, you know, he knew that, but he's also the manner in which he died, he'd be stretched out. So, you know, maybe this was going to be it, but, you know, I think Peter just understood he had the, I, the he had the principle that the most high rules and that if this is where the God was going to let leave me, then so be it. Right. And so he's just sleeping or he was just tired. You can just say it simply instead of making it all spiritual like that. But he's just sleeping. And look at look at the um, look at what's surrounding him. Right. He's chained between two chains. Now, I, I've only seen. I, I've seen the inside, not the inside, inside, except for on TV of prisons. I just been on the outside. I actually was sent there. Um, I was doing some mortgage signings and, and closings, and, and I didn't even know it was possible. But somebody closed a loan, and it was a, it was an inmate, inmate. But I had to go there and get his signature and notarize it. But he, they ended up meeting me in some. Uh, neutral area because I didn't actually go into the prison. I mean, I went into the, the front part, but um, it's a very it's a very um, locks and, and guards and it's exactly what we're describing here. He was chained between two chains. Inside of his cell, there was already soldiers right between him. But then, not only that, outside of his cell, there were sentries right. And so, remember, Herod tried to make this as uh, a foolproof, and he didn't want him to get out because it meant a lot. But it says this in verse 7, Behold, the angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone through the cell. And he struck Peter on the side, and he says, uh, uh, and woke him. It says, get up quickly. And his chains fell off. Now, uh, uh, let me ask really quick. What do, what do I have to go to? Um, is it normally 10, 1145? Oh, am I over already? Uh, Jamel said 1130. But... Oh, man. Light goes to 12. Okay. <laughs> Wait, did Max leave already? I want to make sure he's not sleeping already. Oh, he already left. All right, so, all right, let's try to wrap this up. I'm sorry, I'm already in the beginning. But um, we'll just kind of uh, make mention, but we'll skip through this, is that the angel ends up uh, waking him up. And I don't want to speak too much, because I think um, we, we have some questions that we can go over and study. But the... The angel wakes him up, tells him, gives him a command. Now, this is interesting, too. We, we talked about this in the first meeting. But, you know, instead of just like before, just taking him out and appearing him and he's outside, he tells him he's interacting with him. 
you know, you can make your own applications if you want, but, you know, God's agent is interacting with him. He says, listen, he hits him with something to wake him up. And this is also, I found this, uh, I have to mention this too, that, you know, what we're going to, let's keep going. Because uh, I want you to see what's happening here. This is, this is so fascinating. So he's telling him this, and you know, he's having a conversation with Peter, and it seems like, man, is it because they put some kind of like divine bubble and nobody can hear? But look at this. It says, he went out and followed him and so on, and he didn't know what was being done. Peter thought he was dreaming as well. And then if I, he eventually passed the first and second guard and the iron gate leading out the city, and he opened it to its accord, right? The gate just opened, and he went out, and immediately Peter found himself... And then he knew he was rescued by uh, by his angel from the hand of Herod. One thing I want to notice is what just struck me is that this was happening and nobody knew what was going on. That there was a light. Peter was allowed to see it. He was conversing with somebody. It wasn't that they heard him talking. That they, listen, they had no idea. Because it says this later that they had no idea that this was happening. It wasn't that they were sleeping and that Peter kind of crept out when they were, you know, the guards were sneaking, you know, he was sneaking out. No, it wasn't like that. It was that this was happening and they had no idea. You know what that tells me? Remember, the most high rules in the, in the world of men, right? He rules. And, and the spiritual world is very real. There's things happening around us and we have no idea. And so when we look at something, remember, when we look at it a personal life, and, and we look at some kind of adverse thing that's affecting us, we have no idea what's happening in the spiritual world around us. Right? Instead of just fighting and, ah, this, I, I'm going to change this. Man, instead of just, you know what? What is the Lord doing here? Let's just find out, right? Let's just submit ourselves and understand that the most high rules. And this whole conversation and everything and the light shining in, the guards and everybody else had no idea. Even Peter was, thought he was dreaming because it's like, you know, he's talking to me and nobody's responding. So God did something, right? And he was able, he was rescued. And then we'll just mention this. We, we'll, we'll skip, hopefully you just give me a few more minutes. We'll skip the, the last, the last part. But, um, he, okay, so Peter's rescued. He's, he's brought out in verse 12. He realizes he's went out to the house of Mary and to the, to mother of John, uh, whose, uh, other name was Mark. So he obviously knew that where they would be at this point, right? They were at these different houses. And so he's like, let me go find the Christians. And uh, they were gathered together to pray, right? The same people that were gathered together for an earnest prayer meeting. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant named Rhoda came to answer. Okay, so they uh, didn't, you know, remember being a Christian was not a favorable thing. And it was, uh, especially at this time when violent hands were being laid on them. So they were locked up in the house. Verse 14, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing uh, at the gate. And so she uh, hears this knocking, and Peter must have been saying, Hey, come on, man. Yeah, I'm out here. Man. I just got rescued. I want to be put back in prison. Whatever he's saying, he must have been saying something to them that uh, she heard his voice and recognized that it's Peter. She ran back in and interrupted the prayer meeting and said this. He said to her, Oh, no. Uh... She ran and interrupted the prayer meeting and said, listen, Peter's right outside the gate. And they said to him, they, re- they respond to her. He says, listen, mine says this, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. But she kept insisting it was so. And they said, no, it's his angel. Um, when I come across this, you know, sometimes we, uh, there's a couple of thoughts that I have. And we'll, we'll end with this. 
Sorry for going over time. Um, you know, when we pray, are we really praying to see an answer? And what, what do you mean? Like, uh, are we praying to see some? Because, you know, what they're, they were praying for Peter's release, and then it happened, the very night that it happened. Now, I know we have individual stories. We hear stories of missionaries. Um, I know Calvin knows some, but there's some that, you know, we hear that they need something, and 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 then they prayed for it, and then it happened immediately. You know, some amount of money that they needed, and they were, you know, sixteen dollars short of rent, and then somehow it just came that very day in a, in a in an envelope. And this is exactly what happened. She comes and tells him, "Listen, the guy you've been praying at, he's right out there." And she says, "You're crazy." They said to him, "You're crazy." It tells me that they weren't looking. You know, they might have been praying, but they actually didn't think that the Lord was actually going to do it. You know, I mean, that's. I don't know how, I mean, I don't want, I don't like to, to criticize, but I, as far as a, 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 what I, what we can learn from this is this, is that when we pray, do we actually expect an answer? You know, and all, not only that, you know, is it the answer, you know, the Lord might answer it, but it might not be the answer we're looking. Sometimes we pray and we say, listen, this is the way I want things to go. That's what I mean when I pray. Lord, I need this car. This is the way I want it to go. Lord, give it to me. But then the Lord says no. And then we keep praying and we think, Wait, wait, I'm praying for it. Why isn't the Lord giving it? No, he gave you an answer already. So here he is. Uh, she says, you know, he's outside. They said, you're out of your mind. And then he kept insisting. They said, it's his angel. Some of you might have, it's his ghost. I mean, that, that's just crazy. I mean, <laughs> being, a, being a, uh, a believer in, you know, ghost stories, and I don't know what that all means. You know, some said it's his guarding angel. But the fact is that it sounds like Peter, Peter it can't be somebody else. It can't be some angelic being who sounds like Peter and Peter himself, right? So, you know, uh, I was talking to, we'll end with this. I was talking to, actually yesterday, I won't mention her name, Yami. Um, but I was talking to uh, her, and, and she was there with her mother, and they were telling me, you know, uh, mom came up to her and, you know, did something, thing, and she's like, go, you know, and like, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of watching it. You know, was, there's, no, there's no soccer game, but... You know, what she was telling Yami is that she was, you know, what they have between them is that they get so, they get so, uh, uh, static and happy when the Lord answers something or some kind of praise that that's the re- response that they have. And they come together and they share it with each other, right? That the Lord answered this thing and they're so ecstatic. And, you know, that's what that, that's what Rhoda was doing. Liz, listen, I can't go any further. It's like, I didn't want to, you know, Peter wants me to come answer, but I got to go tell these people, look, the Lord answered the prayer. He answered the thing that you were pleading over for. And there he is standing right outside. And so God saved uh, Peter miraculously, right? And uh, I know there wasn't much application uh, because there's a lot of information in, in history. But the one thing that um, what I pull from this is kept trying to refer to is that the most high rules and not just... In, in the form of government, and, and maybe you know, one day it might be a, a, a government that's over us that's very antagonistic to Christians. But it's it's at the local level, the managers, the even sometimes parents, right? Sometimes parents are adversely uh, uh, affecting us, and and we end up, you know, we want to fight back and we want to get what our what's due us, and we want to give them what they deserve, right? But the Most High rules in the sons of men. And that's at a local level. But if we understand that it comes from the Lord, right? The Lord places those who he wants to place. And sometimes they are very uh, ornery and very um, antagonistic rulers. But he knows what he's doing. The second thing is, is when we pray earnestly, are we looking for an answer, right? 
Are we expecting, do we trust that God can do this, right? He saved us. He rescued us in a miraculous way. Can he just rescue somebody from prison? Can he take away some disease that seems incurable to somebody? He, of course he can, right? And, you know, our response to be as, as, as Yami and Mom has, uh, as they have, right? To be so ecstatic as it comes and see, to give God glory that he's able to do such a miraculous thing and praise be his name. And so, um, let's close on a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this story. And it's not just a simple prison break, but it's glory to you that, that, that things that are out of our control are still within the control of you and you have authority over. And so we just uh, pray that we take this, um, and as we look to study it more through our questions on, on Monday, Lord, that you would uh, expound more about your son. Lord, just, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.